the evolution of artificial intelligence and the future of creativity. Behind the podcast of episode EF11. I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF33 of the Evolve Faster podcast. Quick spoiler alert, this is a behind the podcast looking back at episode EF11, which was season one, episode nine of the Evolve Faster podcast titled, When the Lights Go Out, The Blinding Light of an Artificial Future. The driving question of this episode and this behind the podcast for you to think through is, can machines think, be creative, or fall in love? I'm gonna read a paragraph from the website to remind you of what this episode was about. Aldford Herbert, a famous science fiction writer, is on the brink of finishing his latest novel about a realistic, dark future of artificial intelligence. A stroke of luck provides him with an opportunity to talk with Cynthia Butler, the mastermind behind the world's most bleeding edge AI company. Aldford sees this as the perfect opportunity to secretly learn how precise his fictional predictions might be. What he doesn't know is that Cynthia might have a mysterious and even more insidious agenda of her own. I love reading about AI, robotics, CRISPR, genomics, synthetic biology, all the stuff that I call the next evolution. Stuff that's coming whether we like it or not. I certainly don't think that we're being very responsible as a species with the haphazard nature of using these technologies so flippantly. For decades, we've been able to, for the most part, trust the technology industry. But it's now becoming clear that that trust has been violated and the likes of Google and Facebook are very clearly abusing very personal data that they're collecting every second of our lives and using without our permission. They create these thin facades of value that remain consistent on our end while they explode in profitability on their end. And AI is definitely a big part of this, of this game. So since I started the episode almost two years ago now, the leaps and bounds that have been made with AI have been staggering. AI, while it fascinates me, it also kind of terrifies me. I'm confident that we're going to see something that seems to us to be conscious in my lifetime. Part of this episode was to explore this reality and create a conversation. Because one of the points of the episode is that this is likely to happen and we really won't be able to tell if the AI is conscious and therefore it won't really matter if it is. We'll be outgunned mentally and if you think of this as I do, that the wool is being pulled over our collective eyes now, just wait. So getting into the behind the podcast part of the story, this production of this episode made me worry in two ways. First, how could I write a story filled with research and theories at one point without the episode becoming outdated when it officially goes out? At least for the first season of the podcast, it was a it was a long first production cycle because there was so much experimentation going on with the format. At the time I was writing this, you know, I knew might be 18 months before it was released. A lot of the topics are more evergreen in terms of, you know, what the podcast is about, but there are a few about high tech things like this one and a little bit of speculative looking forward fiction. I'd already had the same problem with episode EF4 the decapitation of reason a skeptic's guide because that episode included the potential um or at the time i started writing it there was actually a potential surgery on the table for someone to get a head transplant and that's what the episode 
was leveraging. So actually what happened with that one was, I think I may have told the story already, but between the time of writing and the time that it went went out live, the guy that was had offered up himself for the head transplant, who was a quadriplegic, changed his mind and pulled out. I, I didn't have to change the, the story because I was worried that it had the surgery happened, you know, which obviously would have been great for this guy, I would have had this outdated script that I probably would have just had to had to scrap because the speculation aspect of that episode is what makes it interesting. I don't think he's found another person yet. The, the, the guy that was going to do the, the surgery just thought it was too risky and, and, and pulled out of it. So the second problem was the story itself. So I normally dislike the, the interim rewrites, as I've mentioned before. The final one is fun if I, if I have the time and I don't feel rushed. But it's rare that I'm actually excited about a final rewrite because they can be a, a real grind sometimes and sometimes it doesn't feel like it's paying off. But I actually couldn't wait to do this one. At the same time, the story seemed like it had some aspects that could go towards being a little cliche about the way AI is viewed. And I was you know, worried that I might be dipping my toes a little too close to the, the movie Ex Machina was I making it a little too commercial sounding? Was it predictable? I was bothered, so, but I was also excited about the episode, so I wasn't going to give up on it. So those are the, the two main challenges that surfaced in the creation of this episode. So how did I manage to turn a you know, potentially retold story into something that I could call my own? Well, we can trace AI fiction all the way back to the 1950s, and they have, you know, recurring utopian dystopian themes. So what could I add to this genre to make it new and unique? Let's go through the creative process and answer some questions about this episode and how it came to become probably one of our favorites, if not our favorite of the season. And then we'll come back to these, these matters and see if the Q&A has answered them. So we're gonna try to address why the question, can machines think, be creative or fall in love, is all for the same guy from an earlier episode. What does the title When the Lights Go Out mean? How and why is Sid connected to all these people? What does Aldford know? What does Cynthia know? Who is Cynthia modeled after? Who is Cynthia talking to in the beginning? And what is the dangerous project? Okay, why the question, can machines think, be creative, or fall in love? Well, first of all, because like all the big questions that drive each episode, it's a philosophical classic. To me, AI is the topic for the 21st century. Now, synthetic biology and genomics too, but AI is really changing things already and fast. I mean, never do we make so much progress in the last 20, 30 years. And I think we're bearing witness to a dream becoming a, a reality here. But as much as the classic evolution likes to take it slow, it seems by including humanity into the equation, evolution suddenly skyrockets like a blurry image, the AI image is becoming clearer and clearer right before our eyes. I wanted to add a human element to this AI story, a story where humanity isn't just the observer of what could be possible to become this greatest wonder of the world, but more like active participants as well. So although the episode's topic is AI, the bigger picture of the season is still us and our minds, humans, and specifically issues in the philosophy of mind. Exactly because AI is such an enticing topic, there's a possibility of it devouring everything else. So nevertheless, AI is just the tool for this episode's main topic, which is human creativity. These last three episodes of the season are around creative thinking. 
by tackling this question, if AI can rapidly develop creative intelligence, why aren't we doing the same? Although we're the catalyst for this lightning-fast AI evolution, are we cursed with the much slower-paced biological evolution, or can we do something about it? Are we the engineers of what might become some new consciousness? And if so, why aren't we using the same brain muscles ourselves? It's like kind of like a jiu-jitsu coach who trains the next champion, but isn't capable to lift his own foot. For those of you who heard the whole episode, you already know how our protagonist, Cynthia Butler, explores this. Creative intelligence is a class of knowledge skills onto its own, but it's not a magical black box that can't be learned or only possessed by a few. So exploring how machines can, are, and will outthink us in all ways eventually should prove that if we can teach to a machine or teach a machine to teach itself, then any brain can do the same with the right framework. Creative intelligence rounds out our mental skill set, and by learning tools to do this better, who says we can't introduce a major upgrade to our mental skill set? So I remember Antonio giving himself and his supposed lack of talent for drawing as an example while brainstorming for this episode. He had this classic belief that he can't draw, but after getting a few tips from his, his girlfriend, his drawing improved a lot in you know almost a, a moment. Of course, he didn't become the next Van Gogh, but it turns out that he, what he thought was unreachable was just a matter of some minor tweaking. And I actually did the same with the hand drawing of the logos for this podcast, which I spoke about in one of the early, I think EF 14 or 15. I really had no art skills at all. My drawing is terrible until I had a vision for the logo and I bought a drawing app and I figured out digital color layering and used my Apple Pencil and iPad Pro. Once again, it's no Rembrandt, but it works and people like it. And, you know, just changing my mindset about it as Antonio did made a huge difference. Psychology defines intelligence as the ability to find your, your way in an unknown situation. Don't we tend to say that someone is creative when they find a solution to an unknown problem? And doesn't it seem that one of the main differences between AI and humans is what the episode's protagonist says, that AI's ability to learn rapidly comes from not being a sore loser? So it was all these reasons and more that we wanted to explore this classic philosophical question. Is Aldford the same guy from episode EF5? Yes, Aldford is the sci-fi author who wrote the book that's being read in episode EF5, the story within the story. Another similarity is that, same as in EF5, this episode EF11 also has a mini-story entwined in the main one. It seemed fitting to create another small story that served as a tool to push the main story forward. We could do something clever to talk about some more sci-fi heavy themes this way too. And since, because the, you know, the main story is kind of based in reality, for the most part, it was nice to have this mini story where we could talk about some you know, kind of more theoretical AI themes just for fun. And since it worked and was really fun to do in episode EF5 with the story in a story, we decided to try it again here in a different way. Aldford, quickly moved from being a minor character to one of the leading characters for the, the whole season. For the podcast, Alford is the boy who didn't promise anything special, but turned out to be one of its brightest stars. Which is funny because unintentionally, I made Alford's backstory be exactly the same. A broken man rising above challenges in, in his life. So with introducing Alford, there's this, there was a small trap placed for us. His mini story 
from episode EF5 was called The Man Who Sought the Truth, which is a pure dystopian Orwell-like story. So without thinking, the sub-story for episode EF11, this one, also had a dystopian feel. So I was fine with using a pure dystopian story once, but the second time seemed a little like a little lazy writing, and, and the story wasn't anything special. Luckily, Antonio had a cool mini-story that originally he had planned, he hadn't planned for the podcast at all. So he writes these short stories, these little flash fiction ideas in his free time, and he had this one story that he ended up submitting to me. And originally, it was going to be an entire episode. But after reading it, I think we decided it would be perfect for this mini sub-story. And it had a dystopian theme without really referencing social, political problems. And more importantly, it was about AI. thought it was good enough that something a, a famous writer like Aldford would be writing as a full novel. I guess we just screwed up a shot at a big-time novel. Sorry, buddy. But who knows, maybe maybe it'll still get developed. With that story in, in check, we received this kind of boost we needed not only further develop Aldford, but the, the second main character, Cynthia. What does his title, When the Lights Go Out, mean, and why is that the title of the episode? To get back to Aldford's mini-story, or the story within the story here, um, like with most things, we seem to always forget there's a small problem to every solution we make. So Aldford's story was the solution, but then I realized okay, we need to give it a title. It could have been easy to give it, you know, a very dystopian name like The Dawn of Humanity or The Ending or something like that. But I wanted it to be submerged in the bigger picture. And at this point, I was thoroughly in the mindset of making clear visual metaphors for all this. the stories. They were, you know, the stories had a lot of deep content and a visual metaphor I felt was important to help people have something to kind of ground to visually. At this point, it was th this. It was a necessity that that each episode had to had to have that touch point. So we were struggling with the the leading metaphor for this. And here's a, another good example of teamwork. So Antonio had this metaphor of humans being regular light bulbs, with AI being more like advanced LED lighting. So I liked that idea, but I felt it was way underestimating what AI will eventually be able to do. So I changed his metaphor to be way more drastic, that humans are like incandescent light bulbs to AI's sun glare, like a glare from the sun. I would have these long solo brainstorming sessions on the metaphors and, and connectivity between the episodes and titles, you know, the top level season level stuff to try and figure out where it was all going. So as I mentioned in an earlier behind the podcast, these sessions had no rules and some of the titles were absolutely laugh out loud terrible i usually did these by myself and came up with some awful titles but you kind of have to do that to go through it and then once antonio submitted one to me that i swear i, I nearly pissed myself laughing and i can't for the life of me remember which one it was and i think it got it was so terrible that we we killed it but we had a good laugh about it i'll, I'll see if i can figure out what it was and and post about it but Anyway, I, I had the, once I had the combined metaphor, we, we then throw lots of ideas relating to light and artificial at the wall. And when, when the lights go out was one of those selections. It, it kind of rang true to the sub story and to the kind of main story. So as soon as I nailed that down, I, 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 had, I had a vision right then of ending the story 
with the son. The final scene, which I'm not going to describe here, uh, because it'd be a, it'd be a terrible spoiler to give up. But I, I I had I knew how I wanted the like. Sometimes these things fall into place. Sometimes they. It's like trying to put a round peg into a square hole, but this one was just, it just worked. And I figured out from the, you know, it was connecting the dots and then title of the mini story came into play. That became the main story. And I knew exactly how I wanted to, to end this one. You might think that the title implies the likely change in world order when AI evolves enough to potentially replace humanity. But this is only half true as it's related to the main story. But in Aldford's story, the human light had gone out already. So the very sci-fi story that he's written, that he wants to take to Cynthia, in that story, nobody even remembers humanity even existed. So in his story, the possible light going out is for the dominant species of his story, which is AI. As I said, the sub-story is a great little story in itself because it imposes an extremely interesting question that I think Antonio would probably prefer listeners asked on their own instead of me spilling the beans. But overall, it's a small hidden gem inside the, the main episode. So I'm not sure why. Maybe it was because I like the topic so much, and he does as well. But this episode, EF11, became our favorite for season one. Although at the time, I was worried it was a little too commercial and getting away from the, the theme of the podcast a little too much, which I don't think happened. So I, I made, some, made some changes to make that happen. Of course, this wasn't until EF13 got finished, which is a fair competitor to EF11. I felt EF11 was the most polished story at the time. And I usually don't tell Antonio all the things I plan to slice and dice in my final rewrites for two reasons. One, he might try to stop me. And two, because I don't always know what I'm going to rewrite until I do this kind of sentence by sentence, painful read and rewrite. But I had a vision for the intro and the and the ending this time, and I couldn't wait to rip into it. I waited until it was as polished as I could to send it to him. And uncharacteristically, he messaged me back on Skype, all excited about how good he felt the final version turned out. And he's usually not that excitable. <laughs> so we did make sure none of the episodes have any loose ends, but this one especially. It's uh, not because we tried extra hard for EF11, just simply ended up being the most polished of the lot. You know, there's drama, suspense, food for thought, and everything else a listener would want. So I suppose for some people, if they don't like this this topic, they might like this one as, as much as we did. But at least for me, I do hope listeners get the same impression. How and why is Sid connected to all these people? Here, Sid is fulfilling his initial role to be the glue that ties the other characters together. I mentioned in this one, one of the other behind the podcast episodes, but originally Sid was supposed to have a minor appearance in almost every episode. But since Sid got his own full episode, his backstory, we, we decided to tone it down a bit. So in this episode, EF11, he ended up being one of the episode survivors where Sid kept his you know, cameo appearance, which actually turned out to be a fairly major appearance, almost a co-protagonist. So, and like many other things, Sid's fictional purpose ended up being practicality for us as creators. Every time we were stuck with a specific story, we'd go back to Sid and see how he could help us patch it up. For example, with this one, episode EF11, we had the problem of how to connect Aldford to Cynthia. It's unlikely that Cynthia, this highly high-powered SEO, uh, would call Aldford for, you know, literature chat over a cup of tea. 
But by having Sid, another influential character in the publishing world who happens to be publishing a biography for Cynthia, the sense make connection. Gave the episode the unnecessary but more than welcome extra story layer, this kind of interconnectivity between episodes. What does Aldford know and what does Cynthia know? If you're one of the people that has tried to do something creative, especially with friends, you probably know the clashes of creativity are bound to happen. So another great thing about this episode, EF11, for me, is the character's motives. Alford wants to finish his book, and Cynthia wants to test her product, whatever that is. Through the entire episode, Cynthia thinks she has upper hand until the moment when Alford's cluelessness starts to make more sense than her personal ideals. For Alford, he's simply a writer with a great mind, and he himself isn't even aware of how well he's thought things through. He just likes to write stories. And Cynthia is a great mind, and she's so aware of it that she gets blinded by her own brilliance. And in the end, Alford sort of gets what he wants, and Cynthia, well, not in the way she hoped for, but she does get her questions answered. Her hopes and dreams turn out to be far more than she can handle. So if we look at what, what they both know, I'd say extremely little. And they certainly don't know what the other has on their mind. Who is Cynthia modeled after? So Cynthia went through a lot before she ended up being this intelligent, charming, visionary woman. I mean, she was set to be an extremely smart character from the start. Before we had a real name, we called her Alona. So you can have a guess with whom we were referencing. I mean, if, if that's not enough, there are self-driving cars in the story and a pretty blatant dedication. Um, but although it seemed like a, a great idea, it didn't feel right. Of course, there's the connection between Elon Musk and Cynthia as they're both CEOs of tech companies and um, visionaries. But in reality, Cynthia's character isn't that similar to what we'd imagine Elon to be. If we altered Cynthia's character, the story would fall apart and there wouldn't be the drive to push the story forward. More generally, she's modeled after anyone trying to create something that's never been created before. Very over-the-top entrepreneur. So I did a couple startups and you do get blinded by the vision sometimes and you know maybe even start to make not the greatest decisions because you can be so focused on these goals and may not consider what you know the costs are until you're able to step back from it. So what happens if your startup becomes Google and how does that change you? Cynthia is another character that grew on us over time. We both really liked how she ended up. So this charismatic and intelligent persona who's demonized by nobody but herself. The irony of a great individual who is her own biggest friend and enemy. This is important as if we'd stuck to typecasting that we originally had in this Alona, we'd be lucky for the story to be half as good as it turned out, I think. So in the beginning, she was this hungry corporate almost more similar to Mr. Arding from earlier episodes, someone who you couldn't relate or feel compassion for. So hopefully listeners will be able to find compassion for her situation. At least we did. Who is Cynthia talking to in the beginning and what's the dangerous project? Well, I'm not going to reveal this as it's an essential part of the intrigue, but I will say it took a lot of time to write these few introductory paragraphs. I rewarded them a lot, especially in the final rewrite. So I don't know if it's just for us, but we always seem to struggle the most with the, the beginning and the end. It's kind of like a gift wrap. Like the gift can be the best gift ever, but if the wrapping sucks, you know, there's a chance nobody will ever open it. <laughs> or at least it'll, it'll give a bad impression. 
Antonio and I had tossed the introduction back and forth, I don't know how many times, but it wasn't always good, but it lacked that essential intrigue that we felt was going to catch the listener. First, it was Cynthia arranging the meeting with Aldford, I believe. And then it became Cynthia arranging the meeting through Sid. And then we had the first attempt to create the intrigue. And then the second and the third. And after a few of those, I think the final rewrite got it to what it is now. The introduction suffered from the same obvious when the light goes out effect. The solution was right in front of our noses the whole time, but we couldn't see it. I read an, an article on entrepreneurial archetypes that listed types like goal-driven, inventor, opportunist, expert, and lifestylist. And basically, Cynthia is, is the final product if you combine all of those. So in reality, it's unlikely you have a person like that, but that's why Cynthia is so over the top. And like in any story, she must be over the top to drive the story forward. So luckily, this back-and-forth creative process, you know, seems to work. And the only important thing is to just not give up in this type of scenario. But who knows, maybe one day AI will become a more effective creative process that will put every fiction writer out of business, or maybe fiction writers will be using AI soon. But what we're doing now might be the last opportunity before AI Shakespeare's and Hemingway's take over. So I think that wraps up the the questions that I wanted to answer that got to the heart of, you know, the essence of most of what was submitted. Appreciate the, the questions. Always send them to evolvefaster.com forward slash discuss. Just to wrap up how I'd started the this podcast, I was extremely worried about making a cliched story that might get outdated before it even goes out. I was worried that the story would be a blatant copy of not just one, but multiple works of recent science fiction. And even if I was okay with this, how could I hope for the copy to be better than the successful originals? Also, the story was quite different than previous ones, and I guess that I was worried about that as well. That change, better or worse? Um, and was it changing the theme of the podcast? And I didn't want the podcast to turn into something cheap before it even started. So, And how could I rely on my creativity before it turned, turned against me? So that's just the first part. The second reason to worry was rapid AI progress. At the time of starting this, even the difference of self-driving cars and progress and things like DeepMind over the you know almost two years from when I started planning these episodes to the production release, it was just things were just happening so fast that I was worried it was going to be outdated. But luckily, not giving up and sticking to constantly trying to make the story better, I think we were able to patch everything up. At some points, I felt there was no more creativity I could squeeze out of us, but I think I, I think we proved that wrong every time. We added several cool twists, in my opinion, and broached many AI topics that I feel the world should be having more conversations about. And a few of the things are probably you know a little less interesting because more interesting things have happened in AI. But I think for a general audience, it uh, it still it still works. So it made me ask where the limits of human creativity are. There's the obvious limit of us giving up, but if it's just like AI, we don't give up and ignore the emotional obstacles. Can human creativity be limited? The, you know, the creativity doesn't have to be for fiction writing. It can be for more technical and practical activities as well. AI might have the physical advantage as it's more effective, it can data crunch, but when it comes to creativity, I believe humanity at least has a fighting chance. 
It might be wishful thinking, but if we overcome the obstacles, the old light bulbs might shed completely new light on the near future that's knocking on humanity's door here. Or at the very least, we're going to have to learn how to leverage AI to amplify human creativity. And hopefully, we won't end up on the floor of our offices laying in the sun. I hope you enjoyed this behind the podcast for episode EF11. And we'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode, which will be an AMA about the same episode. Take care and thanks for listening. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.